Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And we are back after a, what, three-week hiatus? Mm-hmm. Three or four? Yeah. And so we're here. We're linting. What'd you give up for Lent? Uh, g- going to McDonald's drive through on the way to Haywood Hospice and getting myself a Egg McMuffin. That's pretty specific. <laughs> like, very, very specific. I just knew that that was like a, that was like a gateway. That was my gateway drug to fast food. Oh, and I was just like, I'm not going to. I need to. I can make my own. You can control yourself to one. I mean, I'm not saying don't give it up. You give up what you want to give up for Lent. I love the red stuff, diet tier one, and I gave it up. And it's been a struggle as I expected it would be, but, you know, we're getting it done. Um, But, like, one sandwich. I I see your gateway thing, but that's not a big deal. Like, if I I eat a meal at home, which is what I usually do, because I can control calories and and nutrition Mm -hmm. and time and money. Yeah. Um, But, like, I usually eat for breakfast more than if I went to Bojangles and got one ham biscuit. The problem is you're like, oh, two for two. I'd be stupid not to. And then I better get fries with that. And all of a sudden you're at 900 calories. So, yeah, yeah and like $10. If you can control, <laughs> if you can control your urge to your impulse yes. reaction, whatever, then fast food is not terrible. No, and, it's not. And, you know, when Mc, we, we don't need to talk about this, but yeah. when McDonald's, uh, before the pandemic, McDonald's was doing breakfast all day. And mm-hmm. then for some reason they decided with, when the pandemic came that they were not doing breakfast all day again, it disappeared. And now you can only get Egg McMuffins before 1030. And so I have this like incentive, like, Ooh, it's before 10, 1030 I can get an Egg McMuffin. Cause I eat a mostly vegetarian diet. Yeah. And so like on the McDonald's menu, an egg McMuffin with no Canadian bacon is like my go-to, mm. and I used to be able to get that all day long, and now it feels like a treat. You can always get like, Bojangles. I can make that myself. I just buy egg McMuff or I buy English muffins. Saint Thomas slices of cheese. Is it Thomas's? Thomas's. Thomas's yeah. yeah. They're, They're on sale. Room. Buy one, get one at Food Lion right now. Oh, well, I might yeah. have to go buy afterwards. Yeah, and I I can fry an egg, you know, and it's just like a thing. It's like a time thing. All right, this has been cooking with Pastor Potluck <laughs> with Peter Constantin. I hope you're hungry. We're going to talk about if you weren't, you will be now. <laughs> We're going to talk about rigor mortis today. <laughs> All right, we are talking about we we're in Lent and we're we're kind of in this weird area where we're still focusing on the lectionary. I don't know what you're preaching on. I'm just a little bit off. I, I took one lectionary reading for last week and have divided into last week and this week yeah preaching wise yeah. and then on the lent study side for our community lent bible study we're doing not the lectionary so we're just speaking into a void today like everybody's got lectionary on the brain and we're not so well i have been bouncing around uh I th- last week i preached about the blind man who uh who is born blind yeah who is healed and the Pharisees who don't seem to get it. That's what I preached about last week. His disciples didn't get it either. Disciples didn't get it either, yeah. But I preached about that last week and half of it, and then the next half will be this week. I mean, it's a huge passage, and the John passage appointed for this coming Sunday is also huge. It's We jump forward two chapters. We're looking at chapter 11, which is what we're going to talk about today. And they reference last week's reading yes. in this week's reading. That doesn't happen much in the New Testament. Well, John, I think, is like a, 
you know, you read at the end, this, these stories have been written down so that you might believe, yeah. right? So John has like a mission in mind. And it's a narrative that like, I think that, I think it is all connected. I think sometimes it, it's easier to break it up into pieces, but I think it is all connected. And we're gonna see where some of those connection points come in. If you have any that you are aware of, you should bring them up. I have done no research at all okay. I, except we had a meeting yesterday and i came in on the last 10 minutes of it so that that's it that's all i've done well we're talking about lazarus today yes yes and uh brandon not brandon lazarus okay and i was surprised that nobody mentioned that yesterday in our lectionary group. i'm scared to mention anything because i always come in so late yeah i'm like well they probably already said this you know yeah uh so here's a story about a a man who is dead, who is brought back to life. And it does have a lot of resonance with a man who is blind from birth, who is given sight, which is two chapters before. Yeah. And so it's it's Jesus doing what people think would be impossible. Yes. And then, what well, is it Jesus doing it? Or is it God doing it through Jesus? I asked that question because we think about the resurrection and I always, not always, but often hear people say two things. Number one, they say Jesus rose from the dead. That's mm. easy to say. I've said it before. Yeah. Technically, we can say he rose from his, people saw him risen. Yeah. So they might assume he rose from the dead. But I think that we rob the father mm. of the credit, I guess, mm. when we fail to consider that God the Father raised the Son yeah. from death. I mean, how deeply do you want to drive that wedge between Father and Son? Oh, and very deep. They're yeah. both God. I got daddy issues. Um, <laughs> well, me too. Yeah. Good. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think um, I think we have we encountered some differences of opinion about this passage between you and me yesterday. Yeah. And we didn't really get we into We did those. nothing with it. You so, said I disagree, and I said okay. <laughs> that and was so that's it. why I think we should talk about this. I don't even know what your disagreement was, but let's read it. All right, and then it has we can to do with the it. shortest verse in the Bible. Okay, uh, which is in this passage. Uh, that'd be um, Exodus twenty-four, which says, "The." I'm just making that up. Oh, all right. John eleven thirty-two through forty-four. This is the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition. It's pretty much the same as the NRSV. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That's the end. And I have heard this story all my life. I think most of us have. Yes, it's a popular one. But it's so weird. It is weird. It's really weird. There's a lot of weird stuff. Did, as you read this, did you note some weird stuff that you want well, to yeah. highlight? Um, there's the parenthetical, which I'm guilty of doing it right now, which I'm guilty of doing when I speak as well. Like, and when I pray, I'll, I'll be saying a prayer and realize, well, I'm saying this wrong, and I'll like Make have an explanation yeah, yeah, yeah. in the middle of my wording, and Jesus does that. I knew you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing right. here so that you may believe. Well, It's like John, the author, can't can't just let Jesus speak without like explaining why he's saying yeah and but I get in it. Jesus is like through Jesus own mouth you know yeah so that's strange and then there's also the um, the dead man came out his feet bound with strips of cloth and his faith wraps in cloth and Jesus says unbind him and let him go but we never see Lazarus move or do anything mm. it says he came out but doesn't say how yeah. crawling out like an inchworm. and if his hands and yeah. feet were bound and face, he can't see anything. Yeah. And so, and I don't know. It's, so it's a little strange. And I love and The Walking Dead, and I also love The Last of Us. I it like just, it more than The Walking Dead. This reminds me more so of, like, Scooby-Doo and the Mummies <laughs> come out. All they got to do is yank off his mask and he'll be a realtor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So that's one thing that I should have researched before we talked, because I'm not sure that this... That binding the hands, it would be interesting to know if binding the hands and the feet of someone who had died was a common practice. Like, I don't know that that's the case. I think it's more about like a mummy. Like, I don't mm. know that it's not wrapping the whole body. Yeah. Um, and I, I do know some things about first century Jewish burial culture, which I learned when I went to Israel. And that is that you stick the body in a tomb and it's not meant to be preserved. Mm, because mm-hmm. if you go to the graveyards, like Mount Olive, the Mount of Olives is right next to this massive graveyard. Mm-hmm. And it's just these above ground boxes. And you're thinking, you could never fit a body in there. Well, of course you can't, because they're bone boxes. So you put the body in a tomb, you let it decompose, mm. and then you pull the bones back out and put them in a box. Yes. And so uh, this mostly Christianized Western notion that I don't know how we got on the subject preserving bodies yeah, that you have to embalm and you have to make sure that the body's ready to jump up out the grave as soon as the parousia happens then you know every your body's right there ready to go well I that's think, just silliness I think you're you know you're you're explaining where how we got to this idea is that like well, if, if if we're supposed to be resurrected, then we would want to preserve our bodies yeah. so they don't rot. So that and I think this way of seeing it that we see in ancient Hebrew culture is probably more theologically beneficial yeah. because a God who can create the universe can restore flesh to bones. Yeah, or in create fact, new bones. Yeah. In the lectionary for this week, the we dry bones, the passage from yeah. Ezekiel. 
God breathing life into the dry bones. Let's just contrast this. I thought it might be helpful uh, clarity to look at how Jesus' body was preserved. Chapter 19 of John, verse 39. Nicodemus, who was first to come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 pounds, which is a lot. And it's to draw fluid out of the body. Maybe Jesus' body weighed 100 pounds. Maybe... Maybe slightly more, slightly less. I I'm mean, thinking probably a little more. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how tall he was, how gaunt. Or yeah, whatever. but he was uh, he was in the prime of his life, age wise. So. Well, yeah. So, but this aloe is, you know, probably weighing roughly fifty to eighty percent of his body weight, right? And they took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. So, wrapping seemed to be a burial custom. Um, that amount of spices and herbs uh, seems to be a little excessive, I think, and that's probably why it was noted that it weighed so much, mm-hmm. which I think maybe was like these folks thinking it, possibly that they believed that he was going to come back from the dead, and so they were trying to preserve his body. Like they were trying to make sure that this somehow with these herbs and aloes that like they would keep him from decaying. All right, so... We're going to work through... It doesn't seem like Lazarus got the spices. It does not. Because, because he already stank after four days. He stinketh. Stinketh? <laughs> or he stinketh or stanketh. That, yeah, I think that's what the King James Version says. That's what I'm going to start Lord, saying. Lord, he stinketh. Yeah. Ezra, you stinketh, bro. <laughs> and Ezra, not the biblical character, but my son. All right, so let's work through the verses. Yes. Starting at the beginning, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet which is a sign of humility, and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So on one hand, you have a sign of humility. This is the same Mary that was introduced as the one who had poured the... Kneeling again. Yes. Poured the anointing oil on his feet and wiped them with with her hair. But she she kneels, which is respectful, but then she kind of scolds him. If Mm -hmm. you had not been, she kind of blames him. Yeah, yeah. And this is where I start to see those tie-ins back to chapter 9 with the, like, who can really see what Jesus is trying to reveal. Mm-hmm. And even Mary is struggling, and we'll see that in other places throughout, to understand, like, what Jesus is actually capable of. And so she's thinking that Jesus is bound by time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that he wasn't here when he needed to be, and so that means that he can't do anything for Lazarus now. So I'm starting to see where there's, uh, I guess, hered- heretical notion that Jesus and her were an item comes from. Because this seems like the kind of arguments that married people have. Okay. Uh, if you had just been here, you, you don't think of me. You see you it don't as, think as of me. nagging. Yeah, okay. I didn't say nagging. Didn't see that. She's justified. Yeah. So, but, but there is an emotional roller coaster going on. Here's Jesus. He shows up. Shows up late. Like, kind of intentionally. We didn't read that part because it is a long pericope. But, uh, yeah, he's he, he could have come two days earlier. But, but he does show up. He does. And he, I don't know what he's expecting, but what he gets is she's upset about him or at him. And then the next verse, the emotions shift, and suddenly he is upset now. Mm-hmm. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? Now, let me ask you this. Yes. 
does the all-knowing I know exactly what's going to happen Jesus not know where he's laying? He knows. Then why does he ask? I think, so this is where we might start to disagree. Okay, so this part right here, um, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in the spirit and deeply moved. Okay, parenthetical side note, John is probably is a gospel that was probably written um, latest of all of the, the four gospel, canonical gospels. Almost definitely. And many scholars say that it was written at the time that Christians were being actively um, uh, expelled from synagogues or slightly after. So there's this deep wounding that's happened between, Jew- between um, Jewish and Gentile Christians and Jewish communities. That started in 90, by the way. In 90, yeah. The Jomnia Council. Yeah, and I think some scholars say that Gospel of John is written in like the 120s, something like that. So, So there's this wounding that's happened. There's this separation that's happened. And so John's language is often not refined to, uh, to, um, talk specifically about the Jewish authorities being responsible for that sort of pushing out, and so he he simplifies and just says the Jews, the Jews. which gives this this gospel um, gives um, later interpreters of this gospel an invitation to anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. and we don't want to go there. I think, we can talk about it. Oh, yeah, I I mean. We, we don't want this conversation to reflect that. But anyway, that, so, that he, so the word he's using, he says, the Jews who came were also weeping. And it seems like Jesus and the Jews are in conflict here. Mm-hmm. But as this is the end of the parenthetical side note, um, I think that it's actually Jesus and the Jewish authorities. And that's how some translations actually translate so that we can avoid that anti-Semitism. Well, maybe... You can't know. <laughs> yeah. But whether it's Jewish authorities or not, mm-hmm. it's Jewish people. Yeah. And I think the reason that we identify the Jews could be much simpler than that is that they all understood the death, the burial customs mm. mm-hmm. and everything. They knew the timing of this. Yes. So everybody that was there understood what was going on. Yes. And they were all sad. Let's just let's just read this whole section through verse thirty-eight because I think uh, I want to identify like something about this whole section rather than like talking about it now. So uh, just pay attention to these greatly disturbed, where it mentions that he was greatly disturbed. We see it here in verse thirty-three, and we see it also here in thirty-eight. So that to me looks like a book ending. And the verse in the middle is, of course, Jesus weeping. Okay, starting over. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laying against it, lying against it. Yeah, so you, so you see that we've got greatly, he's greatly disturbed, 
at the beginning uh, when he sees them weeping. He's greatly disturbed at the end after they um, also make this error in, in, in misinterpreting who he is and what his power is, thinking that he could have prevented him from dying, um, as if to say that he's only able to do that before someone dies. And then you, and then the middle verse is Jesus began to weep, and that's what we got to talk about. What does that mean? What does it mean that he was weeping? But also in between that, those bookends of being greatly disturbed, you also have two other similarities on either side of Jesus weeping. You have uh, Jesus asking, "Where have you laid him?" And they said to him. So his question was to the Jews, not to Mary. They said to him, "Lord, come and see." He begins to weep, and then verses 36 and 37, so the Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them said, so you see there's this div division yes. in the community. Some of them said, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Question mark. So there, that's a reference back to chapter 9. Mm -hmm. And so you've got sight on both sides of Jesus seeing. So is the reason Seeing you, and unseeing. Is the reason that you see, that's a good point by the way, but is the reason that you see them as the Jewish authorities because the Jewish authorities were butthurt that he opened the eyes of the blind man in they chapter were, 9 and not so just they bring it up. But they were blind. And, yeah. and that may be, I'm not sure. They toss it in his face? So I'm not sure. There's, there's two groups here that are divided about how to interpret this moment of seeing Jesus weep. And I'm not sure which ones are blind. Yeah, but someone's blind, or both of them are. Because some of them see love, and some of them see him choosing not to help. Yeah, and I'm not sure that either one of those is actually why he's crying. Yeah, what you what do you think though? Why? Well, is I've Jesus already told crying? you what I think. You haven't told me what you think, but well, I'll go first. Okay, and I'm gonna clarify before I even begin speaking about it. Neither none of us know. No, we're not Jesus. Yes. And John doesn't give us anything really about it except that it happened. But we're talking about this verse. Um, but what we didn't get to yesterday that I do want to hear from you is why do you think he's crying and what's at stake? Okay. What's at stake for you for why? He's so Jesus sees her weeping and the Jews came with her also weeping. He was greatly disturbed. This is verse 33. In spirit and deeply moved. 34, he says, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And here it is, 35. Jesus began to weep. Other Bibles translated Jesus wept. And that's two ver two words, so that's the one everybody remembers. Um, I think, backstory, Jesus, when he's with his disciples, and they're talking about John the Baptist, right? Mm -hmm. Earlier in this story, and he gets word that Lazarus is dying or, or was dead, and he just kind of hangs out. He's like, yeah, but I'm doing this right now, mm -hmm. and I'll get it. And, and then we get this kind of description, this narrative description. Like he's doing this because he knew that he could do yada yada yada. But he makes that decision, and that's on him, not to go and help. And John's gospel is not one of the synoptics. You have these varying degrees of theology or of, of Christology, which is how much God we think Jesus is, essentially. In all four Gospels, you have Mark that's got a fairly low Christology, 
Luke's a little higher, but not much. Matthew's a good bit higher. And then John's Jesus is like, his feet don't touch the ground. The divine you know? presence. He always was. Yeah. Yeah. Just short of heresy. He basically. knows everything that's going to happen. But he also, John, has to show us the Jesus that was both divine and human. Right. So we get, instead of like Mark, having a Jesus that's pretty much just a guy mm-hmm. with godlike powers because he's also divine, John's Jesus is essentially a god that gives us these glimpses of humanity peeking through. And when it does, it's like really raw. Yeah. It's like you can't ignore that there's humanity here. Um, I think this is that at probably one of its most raw levels, just unadulterated humanity because he makes this decision that's on him Mm. to not go when he hears that Lazarus is dying or dead or whatever and intentionally bides his time because he's doing this other thing over here because his work's important and then when he gets there four days later the body's decomposing but when he sees her specifically but them weeping mm-hmm. again this is just my take on it yeah i feel like he gets upset with himself yeah he sees the pain that his loved one maybe loved ones we don't know exactly who is in the crowd except mary and martha well if he's god then he loves everyone well yeah okay good point but he sees these people or person that he loves is upset. Yeah. And I think that he begins to weep weep realizing the pain that he has caused to someone that he loves. Yes. And I I probably am am iso cheating. I'm reading my life into it. Well, that's it. why I wanted to know like what's at stake because yeah. we all read with that with a with a person. We can't lives. help it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the power of the Bible. Yeah. It becomes alive to us because we connect with it. Yeah. And there are so many times where I have behaved either selfishly or maybe even I'm not behaving selfishly and I don't realize the either direct or side effects of my actions on other people and then when I see what I have done Mm. to cause pain or hurt maybe that's why I'm seeing them as a married couple because that's not I don't really see them as a married couple but I'm seeing how they relate similarly to a married couple it's definitely a close relationship here but often when I do that it's Christy gets the brunt of that. Mm. Uh, sometimes, you know, I don't want to leave work because I'm really on to something here and, and this is going to be really good and, and help people with whatever. This happened a lot during the flood. Yeah. And then I get home and the house is not literally on fire, but it basically, I, I was needed. Yeah. And I wasn't there. Right. You know, that's just, I, I can't think of a specific, specific example of that, but that's, something that typically happens and so it's meaningful to have jesus here uh feel something like regret or at least empathy for and acknowledging like if i had acted differently these people would not be suffering the way they are with this grief i think that but on a much more concentrated level Mm -hmm. it's like the sudden realization that whether i had good reasons or not here is the pain that I caused Mm -hmm. and I am coming face to face with the hurt that I did. Mm. And I like that Mm. 
image of Jesus because it's so rare in John, right. but also because it's so real. Yeah. Whether it's real or not, it seems so real. Yeah, and I think that that I think that will lead us to um, encountering a Jesus that we can relate to, which, like you said, in, in John can be difficult. It can be. Because John's Jesus is all about the the divine word of God. like That has to clarify in his prayers that he's really just teaching these other people. Yeah. Right, begotten, not made, which can feel a little bit removed, yeah. distant. Um, it's important to know that John's gospel was, was just ruled to be canonical, whereas... The Gospel of Thomas, which was probably written around a similar time, was ruled to be heretical, and they were just on either side of this line. Yeah. Thomas's Jesus is just a little bit too spiritual and removed. Just almost Gnostic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That that you could say that uh, in in Thomas's Gospel, um, Jesus wasn't wasn't human in some in some really important ways. He was just uh, to clarify for those who haven't read the Gospel of Thomas. It's essentially Jesus is all spirit mm-hmm. and, and appears human, but isn't. Yeah. And we can't do that because we have to have a dead body. That which he did not assume, he did not redeem. Yes. Uh, which is a teaching of some dead saint. I've uh, heard but, it. But I want to say it's Aquinas, but I may be wrong. I, th- I think I think it's older than that, but I don't remember if it, it might. I, was, I would say Athanasius, but it might be. I'm going to find out. The... Uh, Somewhat, somewhat a Theo on it in his name. <laughs> um, that which he did not assume, assume he did not redeem. Um, yes, so we need to find both Jesus fully human. St. Gregory. St. Gregory. I have a book of all of sayings. Nissa or Nazianzen? Uh, Nazianzus. Nazianzus. Uh, so one of the Cappadocian bishops. Well, our um, readers are just riveted right now. Oh, yeah. Or well, here, listeners. We could go down a rabbit hole about the Cappadocian fathers anyway, but we won't. But anyway, just to say that John's gospel um, checked the box in terms of a, a Jesus that is fully man and fully God, mm-hmm. and or fully human and fully divine. And what you said is like a, a check in, the fa- in favor of John's gospel. Like, here's a human Jesus. He cries. He feels distress or he's he can be disturbed and deeply moved uh by the suffering of people like he empathizes with us and we all need that jesus so my interpretation differs from yours slightly and i will i will say what my interpretation is and then share what what's at stake for me so when i read that jesus began to weep as a response to uh the the jews who were present saying uh Lord, come and see, when he asks, where have you laid him? That come and see phrase harkens back to other uses of that phrase in this gospel. The calling of the disciples. uh, When the disciples ask Jesus, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. Invitation. It's an invitation, right? But I think that he weeps because uh, they're using this phrase, come and see, as if, Jesus doesn't see when really so he's crying because he's offended when 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 John's gospel um, when I think what the purpose of John's gospel is to reveal how we all of humanity are are blind from birth in a way that only God can heal so so he's trying to convince them 
or, or they're trying to convince him that he doesn't see, but he's weeping because he sees that their blindness is, is to to what is possible with God is actually the cause of their suffering. So it's like, oh, they still don't get it. They still don't get yeah. it, and they're feeling this grief and this trauma and this uh, and this despair because they don't see what I've been trying to show them. In fact, they're now they're the ones that are trying to tell me to see, but they're still blind. It fits very well with the reference back to the blind man mm. and also the come and sees. There he's inviting them to join him where he stays, which is speaking of where his actual house was, but you know, ministering to people, bringing people bringing the outsiders in that's where he lives Mm -hmm. whereas they're inviting him to a grave so Mm -hmm. i I can see that tie-in theologically and rhetorically Mm -hmm. um but i still like mine better yeah okay (laughs) well i mean what's at stake for me is like i think my my deep concern is that i just don't understand the scriptures yeah you know well that's something all of us should or or understand what god's up to um and to to imagine that like perhaps much of the suffering in my life um, I could have been avoided if I just understood what God was doing in my life like that that cuts me deep because I'm like dang like I really I really lack faith you know like I want to to see as God sees I think we all struggle with both those things one of them frustrates me the second thing Mm. not seeing what God is doing in the moment Mm mm-hmm you know, of course, I wish I could see what God was doing before mm-hmm. and then jump on board. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I can't. Almost yeah. always I can't. Yeah. One of the things that Christy and I have always been able to do is to, when we leave a place of ministry slash where we live, we can look back and see what did God call us here for? What was the purpose of us being here? Yeah. And here, we're like already trying to do that, and we're not leaving yet, mm. and we're getting frustrated because we don't know. Mm. And the answer is we don't get to know, yeah. and that drives us crazy. Mm. And it's just that frustration of don't you wish you could just know what God was up to, but that takes the mystery out of it. Now, I don't find the same frustration on the Scripture side, not because I'm a master of all things Scripture, but because, so when they when they can, canonize the Bible, they looked at certain factors, historicity, Apostolicity or yeah, apostle, yeah, apostolicity, apostolicity usefulness and universality, yeah. timelessness, whatever. What they did not look at was amazeability, mm. which is probably not even a real word. But I think that the fact that we don't always get it and that we have to wrestle with meanings of Scripture and that as we change, what it means to us changes – that is what amazes us. Mm -hmm. And I think by circumstance or divine interaction, no, what is it when you intervention, Mm -hmm. we, we have got this collection of scriptures that still has the power to amaze us because it's not simple Mm. because it's not an instruction book. Because yeah. we have to wrestle with it. Yeah. And so I, I actually am encouraged by that first thing, mm. even though I'm not any better at it than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, the second thing does frustrate me. Yeah. Well, frustration is anger's little cousin. Okay. <laughs> and uh, 
So before we go on, I want to just uh, invite our listeners. Hey, what do you think? Why did Jesus weep? We'd love to hear That's from you question. in the comments. Yeah. Uh, if you have a different take on this than Court or I, or if you want to uh, say which one of us is right, we'd love to hear that. Um, but I think that Jesus actually gets angry at this point. I think that the dis- deeply disturbed um, feeling that he has when he comes to the tomb is is also a little cousin of anger. So is he angry because she scolded him? I don't think so. I think he's angry because they don't believe that he has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. So the angry anger didn't start like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How dare you? You don't think it was that. You well, think it was, Lord, come and see. Maybe this is my bias, but I don't think God is angry at Mary because she's trying to believe and trying to understand. Mm-hmm. I think he's angry at the people who are divided about what he's up to but don't actually want to follow. Something else we didn't talk about because we didn't read the bajillion verses before this mm. was Mary's got a sister, mm-hmm. Martha, mm-hmm. and she meets him earlier than Mary and he explains it to her too mm-hmm. and she's just like oh okay <laughs> well Mary's Mary's mad too so go see her I, yeah that's a paraphrase obviously yeah but it, it hits him differently right and it seems like their sadness hits him differently as well mm. probably because of the way they present it yeah Martha greets him and because she's always trying to do the stuff that needs to be done yeah and okay Jesus is coming I gotta get ready to go meet Jesus go meet Jesus Mary, though, it seems to be more expressive emotionally, and she comes down and kneels at his feet and is all upset. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Well, Je- I, Jesus hits people differently, and, and Jesus' interactions with people hit him differently. Definitely. So do we want to talk about him raising Lazarus himself? or <laughs> Probably seems should. To be, seems to be. Uh, I got a book coming out, if it ever comes out. Uh, it's supposed to be before Easter. And I make a brief reference to it um, just because the characters need to learn about these amazing things that Jesus could do. Yeah. And um, I think that because of the amazing nature of this miracle, we don't even look at these side issues. So mm-hmm. I wonder how many people are even aware. Like, like we know Jesus wept. Yeah. But how many of us even see the pain on Mary's face or the potential frustration that Jesus may have had with the Jews? I, I'm thinking not many. Yeah. And I'm not saying we're better than them. No. I'm just saying that that's how we kind of do with information. We just yeah. hit the high points. We live in a society where we don't really um, expect to be surprised very mm-hmm. much. We don't look for, we don't, we don't. We don't value the the we don't value mystery uh, as much as we do knowledge, right? Which is, kind of explains things because we have all these preachers and I don't know Christian consulting firms or whatever that are all frustrated mm. over the rise of the uns, mm. the people that are unchurched, and people that just don't claim to need God. Yeah. And that makes total sense when we've decided that we are the masters of our destiny, that we don't have room for mystery anymore. Mm-hmm. And God is shrouded in mystery. Yeah. So, but but we do we do the whole 
the whole avoiding mystery thing, both inside and outside of the church. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think the distinction is actually somewhat irrelevant because it just even even in the church, I think we expect God to work in certain ways. Or we, in most of the time, we don't expect God to show up in our lives At in all. miraculous ways. Uh, That's why it's so surprising and jarring. Yeah. Or easily explained away. Right. Well, and I think I see that in the faces and in the actions of these people here who are just like, Yep, another guy died. Let's just wrap him up, stick him in a hole. Oh, I think the guy's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> they were upset. They, they, yes. They were upset. But I get your point. But they, they didn't consider the possibility that he he could come back from the dead. We know what happens. This is what happens when people die. Yeah. We go through our rituals. We grieve. That's it. Yeah. It's the only possible outcome. Yeah. And even Mary, you know, I know he'll be raised in the resurrection, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus is like, no, I'm going to bring this dude back from the dead now. I thought that was Martha. Uh, is it? Martha said to him, I know he will rise yeah. again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection yeah. and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. You're right, it's Martha. And it's, that's her typical Martha fashion. Okay. Somebody told me, was it you, that about belief, believing Jesus versus believing in Jesus? I don't think so. When that doesn't com- sound like me. When it comes to, well, this was in re- reference to um, chapter 3 of John when he's talking with Nicodemus, that uh, the difference between believing Jesus and believing in Jesus is like if Jesus says, I'm going to climb Mount Everest, you'd be like, I believe that you can do that. But if to believe in Jesus is like, putting on a harness and clipping into the rope and saying, and Jesus saying, I believe you can climb Mount Everest. I, I, I agree with that statement, like, but I did not. You, you better that. believe that Jesus can make it to the top because you're clipped in. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know who said that, but it wasn't me. Okay. But, but I like it. It's, a, it's this idea of like, you know, there are a lot of people in the gospel of John who are like, trying to pay attention to what Jesus is doing, but they're not interested in following. Yeah. And there are some who are interested in following who still have trouble believing what he's doing. I think that's where most of us today are. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly myself. Yeah. But, yeah, I... I so you would, you would think that Martha is a belief in... I think Martha and Mary uh, and the disciples... Well, disciples don't really have a role in this, in this, in this story very much. Um, but I think that they are the, they are trying to believe in Jesus. They're just ha- they're just having a hard time with it because they're human. They're human. Yeah. They yeah. Are. Whereas the other characters, uh, the Jewish folk that are referenced in here, are sort of maybe trying to believe what Jesus is doing, but not really interested in following. So he calls him out. Yeah, he calls him out, and he he's asking them, "Where did you lay him?" Like. And think this is, I see this as anger, like, you've already packed this dude away, and where have you laid him? And the truth comes out when he walks out of the grave. Yeah. Or, or shuffles out. Or worms or rolls or whatever he does. That they've not only buried him, but they've bound his hands and feet, as if to say, you are trapped by death and you cannot come back from it. I think that there's a tension here between 
his expectations of them and their expectations of reality. Mm. Because why wouldn't they? Mm. Mm-hmm. This doesn't happen to anybody else. Right. And it's not gonna. Mm. And so, you know, what is he expecting too much from them? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because, you know, anybody in that crowd would say, well, my brother died too. Yeah. And he didn't show up for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe not even saying that in a snarky way. Just, you know, hey, should we leave him out? And let the flies get at him for a while because Jesus is coming back. Yeah. Well, what if he does? I mean, yeah. what, has Jesus done this before? Not that we know of. And so I, I don't think it's fair for us to read them as the bad guys over this. Not that I think you're saying that. but I think John's saying that. Actually. But I think John's getting to that. Yeah. And he's doing it because, in my opinion, he's setting up Easter. Yeah, because you got the stone there, commanded to roll it away, and the, it's just so many similarities. Right. Um, but and, we don't bind people's hands and feet when we bury them anymore. No, we just lock them in a thing and pour cement around them and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which may be somewhat parallel to what what's happened what's happened to Lazarus here. Have you 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 have a church with a cemetery? Have I you ever do. gone out when they dig? Yes. Have you ever watched how carefully they dig? Because I mean, the walls of that thing are just straight. I mean, perfect. Yeah, when they dig the hole, yeah. But I've watched them dig at my previous church. There was a cemetery, and mm-hmm. I had to go out because we were a little confused over where the hole should be. Yes. And I had to go out, and they dig so carefully because even if they're in the right spot, and there's like hundreds, Markings hundreds of, everything. there's like hundreds of. Um, just bodies, caskets down there. They could even if they could dig in the right spot, we think of the earth as solid, mm-hmm. but it's not. Mm-hmm. They Things move. Can shift. Yeah, they yeah. move underground, and we don't know it. And so, you know, for whatever reason, our societies, even back to this day, have seen this need to immobilize dead bodies. Mm. And so the thought that one might come walking out, it's natural that that's preposterous. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. I don't expect. Right. I mean, you know, they sell us caskets as if we need to lock them down like Fort Knox. Like, there's a 40-year guarantee of no moisture getting in here. And I'm like, who's going to dig it up and check? Who no one. if it gets moisture in and, and people pay for that. Yeah. And... They can say whatever they want to say. They can say 100,000 years because no one's going to dig it up and check. Right. And come back and say, well, mine leaked. I just checked yesterday. You know. So, anyway. (laughs) I'm putting a moisture meter in here. But all that to say, we still think the same way the Jews here did. Yeah. And I think that that's indicative of our, like, inability to conceive of the fact that, like, in God, there is no, that death is not necessary. Yeah. Death is the product of 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 our human, of our human understanding of what it means to to live on this planet. But I, I like the way you say that because it's death is a product of our human understanding of what's necessary to live mm-hmm. on this planet. It is a part of life, mm-hmm. and death rituals indicate a lot of what we think about life. Yes, but also 
the divine. Mm-hmm. And, and yesterday I did a funeral, and oh my gosh, I've been doing tons of them lately. Mm. Someone said, hey, you did a great job, but I guess you would because you're so practiced at it. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. sadly, that's true. I'm doing yeah. about two a month. Wow. But anyway. Um, I'm up to 20 now in my four years here. Or 20. Five a year is not bad. No, I've, I've, people have said that. But we digress. Had their, you know, other pastors have done more, but it, it does feel like a lot after yeah. a while. Anyway, so when you're doing these, you start to realize how people react to death. Mm-hmm. And in their reaction, and you don't do it in a judgmental fashion, it's just observations. Mm-hmm. But in their reactions, you see, and the circumstances surrounding the death matter too, mm-hmm. but you see kind of how people wrestle with God. Not only when it, you see extensions when they react to a death, to um, extensions from how they must be reacting or wrestling with understanding God in other aspects of their lives. And in many ways, it's really shaped me more than a seminary ever could. Mm-hmm. Because seminary can teach you what X theory says. but What Gregory Nazianzen yeah, yeah, said yeah. about Jesus' nature. Correct. But, but they... They can't. It's not that they don't or they choose not to, but seminaries can't show you that that meeting point between the human and divine that, that happens at the grave. And I think that in our profession, it's good that we learn from that. Mm-hmm. But others as well. Um, yeah. When we go to funerals or we know someone that's grieving, we, we can see how they understand God and through that, the Jesus we need to be in their lives. Because, mm-hmm. like, we've talked about Jesus showing up either to or for Mary. And in one way, he was the Jesus she needed in that moment. He wept with her. Mm-hmm. And he also goes in and does the miraculous thing. But far too often, we just show up with our slogans and answers. Mm-hmm. She didn't need that Jesus. Mm. And we need to be careful not to present that Jesus. Yeah. Um, somebody said something to me. So that playground that's right outside my window right here is the Ann Walsh playground. It was named after a, a little girl that died, and you know you're her, na- you're their neighbors, mm. um, her parents, mm. and so they, in memory of her, built that playground. And after she died, someone said to them, "I don't know who it was." So I'm not calling anybody out. But someone said to them, well, you know, God has a reason for this. And they're still not over it. Mm. And they shouldn't be. Because uh, the words that the the mother used to me were, and you know, she's 75 now. Mm. But the words that she used to me were, you'll never convince me that God killed my baby for some reason. And I think that that's, yeah. that's the, faith, the, the most faithful statement that, that you could make because we worship a God of life. Yeah. A God that doesn't need death and didn't want death for any human being. If we go back all the way to Genesis. And then we repeatedly choose death. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know that it's difficult for our human minds to conceive of anything else. But like when we, when we tie God to death in that way by saying, 
everyone that dies was supposed to die at that particular time in that particular place because God wanted it so. Mm-hmm. Then we make Had God a God of death. Angel. Yeah. Then we make a God a God of death. Then we're worshiping death. And and what we have to recognize is that even though death is hard and difficult and something that we don't want to face, and something that um, that many people uh, experience before they should, uh, that that not necessarily is all death something that God desires. In fact, God does not desire death. Yeah. Uh, God is actively working against the forces of death in this world, and the forces of death in this world are oftentimes orchestrated by people like us, yeah. human beings, uh, and we kill each other. Like this is this this is how a lot of people have died in human history. I don't know what the percentage is, but um, un- untimely death by the hands of another human is like. A big chunk of why people die, and that is not God's will. Yeah. Anyway, we don't. It says that Lazarus was ill. That's how this story starts out. He was not untimely killed by another human. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. We don't know what he was ill with, but if we were to. Now, this is going to crack open a whole other egg. Oh, good. If. And we don't have to talk about this now, but maybe this is a question to leave our listeners with. What if Lazarus is a stand-in for all of us? What if we're all Ill. ill with something that is leading to our death? Point of clarification, because you're from Minnesota. And that's not to judge you, it's to judge us. <laughs> Here, yeah, you could read that as Lazarus was mad. Okay. Ill in this regard means a sickness. Okay. Not, I'm ill as a hornet. Okay. Okay, go ahead. All right, see, I didn't know that. Oh, God. If anyway, you hear a southern I, woman say, I'm ill, So run. you're saying Minnesotans wrote this Bible? Probably. <laughs> what? Yeah, I think, Lazar, I think every story in John has more meaning baked into it than we, we usually take so, on the surface. So the human condition is carrying around an illness with us. Does it, do you care to identify the illness? Humanity? Sin slash death. Sin and death. Yeah, okay. uh, that that we we feel completely trapped by, but that we're hoping that there's somebody who can save us from. And in this in this image, it works so great when you get to the end of the story because that that we carry with us, our human nature, our human bent towards sin and death, takes us to our our demise. Yeah, and Jesus is here to call us from that. Yeah. And invite us into life. And if we take this story as a sermon in that case, then we see that not even death can separate us from what God is from the healing that God is bringing to us. Lazarus can die or Lazarus can be healed. Either way, Lazarus is not going to die forever. He's not going to be dead forever. He's not going to be trapped and we as human beings will not be trapped by the sin of division and violence and the sin of de- and the and the and well and the death if we'll that comes stop from choosing that, to be um, then yes but we, we, we run to it we will not be trapped by this forever and that's good news that is good news and we'll end on that good news because we're way over um, but I've enjoyed it and I look forward to today's 
Speaking of Lazarus, Brandon Lazarus, who's been on the show once or twice, I think once, um, is going to be preaching at the Lent service. So I'm going to go. This is not an announcement because this won't be posted till after that, but I'm excited to hear about that and what he's going to do with our topic. We'll hear Lazarus speak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that reminds me. We don't get to see much else out of him. From Lazarus, do we see him at all after this? Uh, I know that the that they that when they plan to kill Jesus, they said they're going to kill this guy again too. Okay, so there's a mention of him. Yeah, we don't know what he did with his second lease on life. Hmm. And now, uh, I guess we could have a whole other show over what would you do? What will you do with your second life? All right. Well, for that, uh, I'm sorry. With that, um, Court Green, and I'm Peter Constantian, and this has been Pastor Potluck. Thank you. Peace. She's in long black court tonight, waiting for me in the downpour outside. She's singing, baby, come home in a melody of tears while the rhythm of the rain keeps time.